Hi everybody, and welcome back to another nightly message. Sister Debbie has already introduced our topic for the week, descriptive and prescriptive passages in the Bible. And the passage that I'm going to be looking at tonight is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. Let's read those. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. So the topic of descriptive and prescriptive is that we ask the question, is what we just read something that is descriptive of that day and time? And so that we are just reading a record, historical records um, of Paul, uh, what Paul was dealing with in that church at that time? Or are we reading something that is supposed to be timeless, a timeless truth that is applied to the church today, that women should be silent in churches, um, that women um, take a different role than men in churches I'm going to be teaching tonight that this, these verses are both descriptive and prescriptive. One thing I want to point out before moving on is that we get 20 minutes to teach on some pretty big topics. Have you ever noticed that? These topics are kind of big to squish down into 20 minutes, but I'm going to do my best. And so in order to do that, I've decided not to discuss um, part of verse 34 deals with authority and submission. I'm not going to be dealing with that tonight specifically because Sister Leela is going to be teaching on authority and submission, at least in part, in her lesson later this week as she looks back to, as she looks at a uh, verse out of Genesis chapter um, 2 or 3, uh, wherever it's found, where it's dealing with submission and authority. The scriptures that in the New Testament that deal with submission typically point back to the Genesis passage she is going to deal with. And so I'm going to leave that up to her, as I know she will do a good job with that, and it will lighten my load tonight. I also had some help here from our one and only Miss Daisy Lara, and she did a little bit of research on the culture and um, historically of the city of Corinth. Because when we look at this group of people tonight that are, make up the Corinthian church and what Paul was dealing with, what their cultural context is matters because that, these are the people that are uh, the makeup of the church in Corinth. And it matters to know what kind of, you know, city, what kind of lives, what kind of cultural influences um, made uh, was part of their makeup as they became interested and uh, bought into the message of Jesus Christ. And so Daisy sent me some of these facts. The city of Corinth is called Wealthy Corinth because it was a, a trade city. It was um, a port city. So lots of trade and commerce going on at Corinth. Corinth was the home of the Temple of Aphrodite. There was also other Greek god gods, Apollos. Um, lots and lots of temples in the city of Corinth. 
because there were lots and lots of gods. Uh, the uh, Greek gods were polytheistic and meaning that they were several gods. You know, these are several gods. So people didn't, this message of one God, the message of the Jews and the Christians was a monotheistic God, one God. And for the Christians, his name is Jesus. And uh, that was a new concept to the people in the Greco-Roman world at that time, since um, their religions were polytheistic. And uh, there were all kinds of people in the city. Corinth was considered a cosmopolitan city and lots of different types of people, very diverse with their own diverse religious backgrounds. We had Greeks, we had Romans, we had other Asian influences. Um, and so the Christian teachings, as I've already pointed out, Daisy has here, Christian te teaching, mainly monotheism, among other things, went against their beliefs. It was new to them. It would have been new to them. Corinth was also known for excessive moral decay, which uh, having read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and the, the problems and issues being addressed by Paul in a pastoral role, uh, you can deduce that Corinth was not a very moral place. Um, and she said it could be the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire, which is you know, probably very true there, Daisy. And so this is the foundation of the, the Corinth, that the Corinthian church was built on. And so I appreciate, Daisy, your input and your help in looking into um, the cultural context of the city of Corinth. So 1 Corinthians is a pastoral letter written by Paul. Uh, he established the Corinthian church. He, Paul was the leader of the Gentiles, the one called to the Gentiles. And he established this Corinthian church. I believe it's recorded in Acts chapter 18. And after he established that church, Paul moved on from it. And there were other leaders and ministers uh, taking care of the church ministering in the church, and Paul went on to uh, build more churches in other areas. But Paul had gotten some news from his fellow ministers that the Corinthian church was not doing well. It wasn't acting like a Christian church. It wasn't looking like a Christian church, like disciples of Christ. And so Paul writes a letter back um, to the church to correct and instruct, correct the issues and problems and instruct them back and call them back to being a Christian church that reflects Christian principles and the image of God. And so as uh, Daisy had already pointed out, it being a city of moral decay, well, the church was looking and the problems that uh, it was dealing with um, very much was moral decay and a result of moral decay. And the problem um, that Paul is specifically addressing by the time we come to the verses we read, for, uh, chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, he is dealing with orderly worship. 
verse 40 of chapter 14 says, Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. And back in verse 25, I believe, of the same chapter, Um, I don't see what I'm looking for, but twice in chapter 14, Paul reminds the church that God is a God of decency and order. And so he is addressing the problem of disorderly worship and is correcting that. What Paul is correcting at this time is, you know, he was a, a real pastor to a real church in time addressing real problems going on and offering real instruction. And so we're reading that account. This is what is descriptive of this passage. We're reading uh, how Paul is handling this specific problem in his church at this time. And what is going on is that he's saying his instruction to correct the problem is that women should be silent in uh, during the church meetings. What's going on is that the women have become disruptive with their um, talking during the worship service. If you read, well, a bigger chunk I'll give you is chapters 11 through 14, but even smaller, if you just read the whole of chapter 14, Paul is dealing with the fact that the uh, operation of the spiritual gifts um, are in use in the Corinthian church, but it has gotten out of control and it has gotten out of order. And so what's happening is worship is supposed to be a time where people can be used in the gifts of the Spirit, can be sensitive to the uh, movement of God in the assembly of the believers. Worship is supposed to be a time where people can respond to the move of God. But when you have a group of people, in this case, a group of women, being disruptive, people are not able to be sensitive to the Spirit in what God is trying to do in the midst of their assembly and their service. And when people are disruptive, others are not able to properly respond to the presence of God working in their lives and in the people around them. When uh, groups of people are disruptive during service, when these women were disruptive, minister you can't minister to others when there is disorder. And that is Paul's exact um, point and what he is trying to correct and instruct how to correct that. And so we're reading how Paul is correcting the group that is being disruptive in his church. And he says, women just stay silent during the worship services. Uh, I had read in some uh, resources that it was possible that the, the women were trying to kind of get the, the attention of their husbands and ask questions across the room because there were things like, 
prophesying and praying going on, tongues and interpretation going on in the service. All of us have been there before. If you are new to the church or if, uh, if you had never seen or heard anything like that, I'm sure many of us had questions when we first encountered many uh, these types of things in a worship service. But rather than taking conducting themselves and taking care of it in a uh, subtle or uh, a non-disruptive way, the women were drawing too much attention to the fact that they had questions rather than allowing the attention to remain on the move of the Spirit in the worship uh, service at the time. And so Paul says, just take your questions home. Uh, if I remember correctly, and I learned this with our very own Dr. Stephen Beardsley, Dr. Professor Stephen Beardsley, you know he was my professor first, right, before he became my pastor, um, and learned a lot in his classes, especially on the subject of women, and maybe someday we'll hear more about that from him. But uh, as I remember correctly, the Greek word for women and wives is the same. And so, and oftentimes at this, back then, most women were wives. And so to say women or wives in a passage are kind of interchangeable, but that's why it says to go home to, it said, uh, Paul said, go home to your husbands and ask your questions in the privacy of your homes. And that was Paul's suggestion and instruction to the church members um, so that their questions could be taken care of. It wasn't to just ignore them. It was, let's take care of your questions in an orderly way. Take them home and discuss them. But in the worship service, the point is that all and everybody can be used in the gifts. Can uh, can um, God can, God is actively uh, working in the midst of their worship, and everybody and all should be able to respond to God's movement in the spirit. And we can't do that when things are disruptive, when things are out of order. So that is the prescription for the church. The description, again, because I know we're using these words, it's kind of like, what, what? So the description, what I'm uh, teaching tonight is that we see Paul dealing with the group that was being disruptive in his church, women. And he was correcting that by saying, please handle your questions in a different context not during the worship service. Thank you. And then the prescription for the church today. This is not just a record of events that we read and say, oh, we read that. Nice story. The <clears throat> excuse me, prescription for the church today are the things that are applied to the church throughout time. These are timeless truths. And we know, as I read in verse 40, that everything is to be done properly in an order. Why? Was that Paul just being a hammerhead um, pastor and saying it has to be this way because they say so? No, because God is a God of order, and that is established way back in creation, the first day. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. We see it all throughout the New Testament. We see it, and it is said um, 
that God is a God of order. And so the prescription for the church out of this passage is not that women should be silent. Does it mean that all women should be silent during church services throughout history? Well, no. Uh, it's uh, The prescription is that pastorally, uh, uh, the church is to remain, uh, to, to be orderly. Worship services are to be orderly. And so um, that is the prescription for the church today. So for example, maybe an example would help. Let's say Pastor Stephen, Pastor De Desi, Pastor Leela, had to address our assembly, Newark UPC, because there was a group of people being disorderly and disruptive during our worship services. They wouldn't ignore it and just let it go. Scripture tells us and uh, admonishes that our leadership needs to take care of and to instruct when the church um, has become disruptive, or church members that have become disruptive. So, are only women disruptive? No. Are only men disruptive? No. Depends on who you ask. No, I'm kidding. Um, but any group that is disruptive, if, if this if this letter was written today, for example, to our churches today, it would address whomever is being disruptive. Also, when we look at the, the um, topic of description and prescription, we know that Scripture does not um, contradict Scripture. And so, when we ask ourselves, did Paul really mean for women to be silent in church meetings? We have to consider that in just a couple chapters ahead, or a couple chapters before, chapter 14 and in chapter 11, Paul says that he expects that both men and women will prophesy. I believe it's verses 5 and 6. And so we know that Paul expects that men and women in a church service will be involved and that God will work through both men and women. Also, uh, if Paul truly was instructing for women to be silent during church meetings, what would we do with passages um, in addition to chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that I just uh, that I just said? What would we do with passages like Phoebe's role as deacon in the church at Sencre uh, in Romans 16 and 1? Or passages like Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, where the ladies Syntyche and Yodia's role as Paul's fellow contenders for the gospel, as he calls them. What would we do with the Priscilla's um, in conjunction with her husband Aquila in instructing Apollos in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 26? What would we do with the passages like the evangelistic role of the Samaritan woman in John chapter uh, 4, verses 28 
through 30 and 39 when she is sent back by Jesus, sent back into her community to uh, minister and to spread the gospel of what Jesus had just done in her life, to share her testimony. And so we can deduce that Paul's prescription for the church is not that women be silent in the meetings, but that dis- that disorder is not of God and chaos, and that order, orderly worship is of God. Orderly worship reflects God in his character. And so that is what our churches um, are to, uh, to be examples of. I'd like to draw our attention to a passage as well that just reminds us of how God sees the church and its members. Galatians 3 and 28 says, and this is also a uh, written by Paul, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So I hope tonight that it has helped to look at this passage through the lens of descriptive and prescriptive, because reading scripture and understanding it uh, in its proper context is important because it affects and impacts how the church and its members live out our lives, live out what is taught in scripture. And so we want to be able to properly apply the scripture to the church and in our lives. So I hope it was helpful to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, through the lens of descriptive and prescriptive. I like the way that one theologian said it, that however lively worship becomes, there must also be a proper order. And I think that is a great way to sum up the prescription for the church today. Would you pray with me and just thank God for his word? God, as we look at your word in a challenging light this week, we're thankful, God, to know that your word cannot contradict itself and that your word is encouraging and it is good and it is written in love to all and everyone. We thank you, God, for the ability to be able to read the scriptures, search them out, seek them out, and to be able to, among a community of believers, understand it. It is helpful to have one another. It is helpful to be a member of a body, many of us, but each of us, Lord. We are connected to you as the head. God, continue to lead us as our leader, as the head of the body. God, continue to work among us, Lord. Continue, Lord, to challenge us to ask the question, Do we look like, do we act like a Christian church? Do we look like, do we act like disciples of Christ? 
Are we reflecting the image of God or are we reflecting our culture around us? We thank you, Lord, for being and sending ministers and leaders and one another into our lives to help us, Lord, to draw closer to you and become more like you. Lord, help us to continue to run this race. By your grace, Lord, we will make it to the finish. We praise your name tonight, God, and lift you up, the name above all names, in Jesus' name.